Um, good morning. Uh, for those of you who, whom I haven't met yet, my name is Michael Carlson. I'm the pastor of Congregational Care here at First Woodway, and I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you this morning. And I really hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, anyone still full from Thursday? That's, see, that's when you know you did it right, <laughs> when three days later you're still, you're still full. Well, uh, we, we had a great Thanksgiving, and as we now find ourselves rounding the corner of Thanksgiving and setting our sights on, on Christmas, I want to begin with a couple questions for you this morning. And yes, they require some participation, but here, here's the first question. Would you say that this time of year, Christmas time, holiday season, is the most joyful time of year? If it's the most joyful time of year for you, just raise your hand. I'll raise mine. Okay? Okay, that's over half. Um, and, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious, at least for me, as to why. Christmas music, right? Good food, parties, presents, friends, Christmas trees, like the whole thing. There is so much that gives us joy in this season. Now, let me ask a second question. Raise your hand, would you please, if you think this time of year is the most stressful time of year. No judgment. No judgment. Okay. At least half. All right. Raise your hand if you raised your hand twice. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we know the things that give us joy this time of year, but isn't it also true that this time of year is fraught with pressures? I mean, we, we find ourselves chronically busy. Financial stresses seem to, to rise. Relational tensions tend to come to the foreground, not least of all when we're spending time with, let's be honest, family members who we may not see on the regular, perhaps for good reason sometimes. And, and let's be honest, also this is for many a, a time of grieving as we remember those whom we love but have lost. And, and so Christmas time is in many ways this, this paradox of an experience where, where there are so many things that give us joy, and yet this joy that we experience is tenuous at best. It's, it's fragile as pressures from life come in from all sides. Well, this morning... With this in mind, I want to ask a question of us as we come into our text. And the question I want to follow us through this morning is simply this. What is it in a season of fragile joy, what is it that brings deep and lasting joy? Even in the midst of a stressful season, this, this is our question and, and if, you've, if you've been around the past few weeks, then you know that Dr. Sands has been leading us through the first chapter two of the Gospel of Luke. We've been working our way through the events leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus, and we're continuing on this trajectory this morning. And, and this morning, we're going to be looking at Mary's song, uh, known throughout history simply as the Magnificat because it's truly magnificent. This song that Mary sings is breathtaking. It's an incredible piece 
of poetry that I think belongs up there with the noblest of David's psalms. It's, it's reminiscent, actually, of, of Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel, when God answered her prayer and gave her a child. It's this beautiful, beautiful song that comes from a deep place of joy. And before I read it, to set the scene, here, Mary, which we talked about last week, she had just received the announcement from the angel Gabriel about what's going to happen. She, by miracle of the Holy Spirit, would conceive and give birth to a son. And not just any son, but the son of the Most High. This would be the very Son of God. Messiah of Israel and Lord and ruler of a kingdom whose reign would never end. Shortly after this, she then goes to spend time with some family. Elizabeth, who is also with child, pregnant with John the Baptist, and her husband, Zechariah. And, and when they meet, when they encounter one another, the joy is electric. In fact, Luke tells us that John leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb. This is, this is an ecstatic moment, teeming with joy. And then we get Mary's song, a song that comes from this deep place of joy. And I want to make a couple observations this morning regarding this question, what is it that brings lasting joy? We'll start with the first half of her song, Luke chapter one, verses 46 and following. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Let's, let's hit the pause button here for just a minute and, and recognize a couple things. You know, as, as we take a step back, to me it seems obvious that the source of Mary's joy in this song is that she has had an incredibly personal encounter with God. Think about all of the personal singular pronouns just in the first half of this song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Then a bit down, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary has had an encounter with the divine, and, and it was extremely personal. She's like, look at what God has done for me. And, and this comes to a point in verse 46, I think, when, when we're explicitly told, when she tells us in her song why it is she's glorifying the Lord, why it is her spirit rejoices, which is the verb form of the noun joy, why is she so joyful? Verse 48, because God has been mindful of his servant, the humble state of his servant, referring to herself. In other words, she is so joyful because God has seen her. He's noticed her. She is known by God. Friends, 
we all have a deep longing to be known, to be seen, to be noticed. I remember my, my freshman year of college, I was at one of these, one of these freshman welcome events and, and the president of the university was working his way through the crowd, as any good president should at an event like this. And at one point, I shook his hand, had a brief conversation, and then, and then he moved on. <clears throat> About a month later, I was walking down, uh, down the sidewalk in the, in the center of campus. We had a big loop with a field in the middle. And, and I heard someone shout my name from afar, Michael Carlson. And I looked across the field and I saw someone running toward me. And I'm like, who is this? And it was the president of the school. And he came running up to me. And I remember looking around being like, is there someone else with my name? Like who? And I was all alone. And he came up to me and he gave me a high five. And he's like, hey, how, Michael, how are classes going? And after I closed my mouth, because it stood agape for quite a while, uh, I, we talked about my classes, and then I made my way to my next class. Now, let me ask you, as I left, how do you think I felt? I was floating two inches off the ground leaving. I thought I was the most important person on campus. The president of the school recognized me. He called out my name. I am known by him. Christian psychiatrist and author Kurt Thompson said this. He said, we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. I love that line. We are all born into this world looking for someone, namely mom, who is looking for us and we stay in this mode the rest of our lives. Friends, God created us to be known by him. He created us to know him, not just about him, but to know him and be known by him, to be seen by him. Now, at this point, it's worth mentioning, well, what about folks who would prefer not to be seen by God? What about folks who prefer to be anonymous? What about those for whom the idea of a personal encounter with God doesn't sound so great? When, when I was pastoring in Phoenix a number of years ago, uh, I was a part of an outreach event in a local apartment community serving breakfast to the residents. And I, I got into a conversation with a gentleman. And at one point, I, I invited him to church. And the moment I did, he, he kind of laughed and looked to the side and said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I stepped foot into your church, I'd be struck by lightning. And then he walked off with his pancake. And I was like, well, wait, wait. And I, I never got a chance to finish the conversation. But see, what he didn't know is that in that moment, he was doing theology, it was bad theology, it was misinformed theology, but he had a certain conception of who God is. More importantly, he had a certain conception of how God saw him. And friends, let me tell you, it matters how you think God looks at you. It will tell you a lot about your idea of who God is. 
See, Mary's encounter was different, was different in this man's conception of God, because here's the deal. If God is a cold, distant deity, meticulously evaluating your moral performance from afar so that the moment you step out of line, he can zap you, why in the world would you want to draw near to him? Why in the world would you even want to believe in such a God? And if you did, you certainly wouldn't think that being near him would in any way bring joy to your heart. But see, Mary has a different idea of God. She has this personal encounter with God, one that leaves her convinced that she is known, that she's been seen, and it fills her with joy because of how God sees her. Last Sunday night, I was in this room with probably a few of you. We were in this room because our kids put on a Christmas musical, and it was awesome. The kids, they knocked it out of the park, and I was sitting right back there, uh, and they, the kids just invaded the stage, and there was a little play they put on. There was a choir, which was amazing, and really, all the leaders and coordinators who put it on, the kids in the play who had lines, the choir... I mean, they did a great job. It was so fun. And yet, if I'm honest, there was one girl in that performance who I think stole the show. One girl who had dark, curly, brown hair, whose name was Esther. And she didn't have a part in the play. She was in the back of the choir But if I'm honest, I was there to see this one girl, and I didn't take my eyes off of her the whole time. And in fact, afterwards, she was the girl that I wanted to run up and give a big hug to and say, you did such a good job. Everyone did a great job, but to me, she was the star. Full disclosure, she's my daughter, (laughs) right? (laughs) But see, do you see how I looked at her differently than I, than, than I looked at everyone else in the play? Because I looked at her through the eyes of a loving, doting parent. How we think God sees us matters. And I just want to tell you this morning, whatever it is you may be going through, God sees you. God sees you this morning. He sees you in your loneliness He sees you in your grief. He sees you in your confusion and your doubt. He sees you in whatever stresses might be bearing down upon you, and he he sees you not with the eyes of a cold, distant deity, but rather with the eyes of a heavenly Father who adores you. Do you see why? Do you see why? For Mary, having this personal encounter had left her convinced that she was seen, that she was known by God, would bring her such joy. Deep and lasting joy comes from a personal encounter with God, one that leaves you convinced you are known by him and one in which he invites you to know him too. This is why the late, great Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers, what said, what good is knowing Greek if you don't know God? What good is knowing Hebrew if you don't know him? 
He is the source of joy. And, and we see this in Mary's song. But the song's not over. Let's continue. One more thing I want us to observe. Verse 51, he that is God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their homes, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's so much we could say about the rest of this song, but I just, I want to draw our attention to one observation. Do you remember how many personal singular pronouns Mary used in the first half of this song? My God, my Savior, he did these great things for me, right? All generations will call me blessed. Here's the thing. We don't find one single singular personal pronoun in the second half of this song. See, Mary realizes that she is a part of a much bigger story. She realizes that it's not about her. Yes, she had this incredible encounter, personal encounter with God, but, but ultimately this story is not about her. It's about what God is doing through his people for the sake of the world. She knew that God had made a promise to Abraham so many years ago that he would bring blessing not just to his family, but through his family for the sake of the world. He would deal with the sin problem once and for all and unleash his grace upon the world. And Mary knew that God was going to be faithful to this promise and that she, teenager from the Blackwater town, northern Galilee, she was going to get to be a part of this. God would help his people Israel. He would help Abraham and his descendants, his family, be faithful to their calling to be a light to the nations. Why? By entering the story himself in this child who would be called the son of the Most High, the Messiah of Israel, the one true Lord and Savior of the world. This, this is how God would bring the whole redemptive history of the world to its intended point. And she, she got to be a part of it. And realizing the fact that it's not about her, realizing the fact that there's a much bigger story going on filled her with joy. Friends, it's not about us. The lifelong process of following Jesus is a process of being reminded every day that we're invited to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And when we realize this and live into it, it fills us with joy. There's, there's this Latin phrase that has captured throughout the history of the church, the human condition. Theologians have used it for centuries, called incurvatus in si, which, which is a way of saying that what sin does to the human heart is it curves us in upon ourselves so that we become the center of the universe. And, and this idea of the sinfulness of the human heart isn't hard to prove. I see it every day in myself. Why, why is it so hard 
when I find myself in a, I'll say a robust conversation with my wife, when uh, it's a diplomatic way of putting it, when we don't see things the same way, why is it so hard to say just the three simplest words in the world, I was wrong? Like, why is that so hard? It's really easy to say, I just said it. It's, it's really hard, isn't it? Why? Because I, my heart, my heart is curved in upon itself. The default setting of the human heart is to make the world revolve around ourselves. That's why so much of Jesus' teachings is about bending our hearts, the aim of our hearts, out away from ourselves in love toward God and others, the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is doing heart surgery with teachings like this. And when we do this, when we give ourselves to others, we discover a joy that we otherwise would not have access to. I, I discovered this last week personally. On Thanksgiving Day, I wanted, we wanted to, to take our kids somewhere and serve on Thanksgiving Day, in part because you know, we're raising these little disciples of Jesus and we want them to know the world doesn't revolve around you. Like This is part of what it means to follow Jesus. So, so on Thanksgiving Day, we went to, to the Myers Center. Some of you are familiar with Mission Waco. And we volunteered at a bingo event. And I'm not going to lie, my kids were nervous. My daughter is incredibly shy. And we had a lot of conversation about what a homeless shelter is and why we're doing this. And, and we got there, and they, they were like glued to me. Three minutes in, I didn't know where they were. Not because I'm a bad parent, but because they were so engaged in what they were doing. They didn't even talk to me. I just sat back. They would go directly to the lead volunteer coordinator. She would tell them what to do. They would go do it. At one point, my daughter is standing up there calling out numbers, B7, B7. And I'm sitting like, who are you right now? Right? I'll tell you who she was and my son. They were filled with joy because they were living into the reality that the world does not revolve around them, but that they are a part of a much bigger story, a story of redemption that God's writing in this world, a story into which he's inviting every one of us. And when we do this, when we bend our lives toward God and others in love, goodness, we, we get access to a kind of joy that is deep and lasting. When we look at Mary we see and we learn from her that deep and lasting joy comes from a personal encounter with God, one that leaves us convinced that we are seen, that we are known, and that it comes from realizing that we're, we're not the center of the universe, but rather we, we are a part of a much bigger story, one that bends us outward toward God and others in love, and that, that is good news, friends. I want to leave you this morning with just two questions. And really, this is a challenge. I, I encourage you to pick one of these for your week. Two, two questions, and they're this. The first is this. What's one thing you could do this week, one thing, to open yourself up to the presence of God? Perhaps in a new or different way. If, if you have regular daily devotions or quiet time, then maybe... Maybe do something different than usual. Take a prayer walk, journal. What's one thing you could do to open yourself up to the presence of God, this week, the source of joy? And second, 
What's one thing you could do this week to in some way serve someone else? And, and listen, I, this church, you all, you are servants. So you're doing this already. And some of you, if you're a mom to like young kids, you're like, welcome to my life. I know I'm not the center of the universe, right? Well, pick the other one then. But, but pick one of these two questions. What can you do to open yourself up to the presence of God or in some different way serve someone other than yourself? And my, my hope and prayer as followers of Jesus is that we hear this song of Mary and be reminded of what brings us deep and lasting joy, personal encounter with God, and realizing that we're a part of a much bigger story. If, if you'd like prayer this morning, uh, then we're, we're during the next song gonna have people to pray for you at these two crosses. And I wanna invite you to come to come and, and receive prayer. Maybe there are things in your life that are robbing you of the joy that God wants for you. Come, come to him. Hear these words as an invitation from him to say, come and receive prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word And we thank you for this song of joy. God, Mary is such an example to us of of where we can look to find deep and lasting joy. It's not in ourselves, but it's in you. A personal relationship, a personal encounter with you, one that convinces us that we are seen, that we are known. And God, also it's, it's a reminder that we, we are not the center, but you are. And so I pray for all of us as we enter into this, this Christmas season, God, uh, that you would introduce us to the things that bring deep and lasting joy. Help us to turn to you. Help us to look to you, to bring all of our stress, stressors and pressures to you. Fill our hearts with joy that can only come from you. We love you too, Father, and we pray in your Son's name and by your Spirit. Amen.